Hi everyone, welcome uh, welcome back to another episode of the SoCode podcast. It's a podcast where we speak to uh, product leaders around the world um, and share best practice and uh, discuss different ideas. So if you're tuning in, this is episode three and I'm uh, um, I'm joined by David from, uh, from Germany. So David, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Brilliant. Well... Um, David, firstly, I guess before we, we go into what we're going to be talking about today, um, perhaps you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So I am from Brazil originally, so I have worked six years as a software developer and then I shifted into product management and there I have worked for the last 11 years. I have been in different situations from startups to giant corporations different sectors like public sector or automotive, uh, also marketing, marketplace, and uh, B2C, B2B. So let's say I have seen a lot and I have failed a lot. So that's a little bit of my background. And currently I am leading a product management team in Germany. Um, and then also I am sharing a lot of content on LinkedIn, Medium, and so on. And the idea of sharing content is to help people know what I wish I had known when I failed. So I imagine sometimes talking to myself and what should I tell me like when I had two years of experience and, and so on. So, so far it has been quite a nice journey and connected to a lot of people. And it's a pleasure like to help and see that what I share can help the others improve and overcome their challenge. Amazing. Yeah. Um, that's how I initially came across you um, was a lot of the content that you were sharing. I, th I you know, I, I found it incredibly fascinating. I thought it was brilliant that, you know, that there's so much content that you've shared and that's accessible to everyone on through your LinkedIn page. Um, and, and of course, we'll share all the details around um, how to reach out to David and view, view his content. But um, when, you know, I was really excited to have you on the show and um, when, when we first started speaking, funnily enough, you were actually in my neck of the woods. You, you were in Cambridge the week before. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> I, I went to Cambridge because my brother would study English there. And then I, okay, it's a nice opportunity. I'm going to go with him, spend some nice time there. It's such a lovely city. So I really enjoyed being there. But I had to come back to Germany. And now <laughs> I'm in Munich. <laughs> well, um, you, you'll, have to, you'll have to give me a bit of warning next time you come down and... Uh, We'll definitely go have a pint and um, yeah, <laughs> small world, eh? Small world. It was literally the week I messaged you, um, the week before you were like, oh, you're from Cambridge. I've literally just come back. But <laughs> brilliant. Well, well, thanks again for coming on the show. And um, so David, today um, we're going to be speaking about one of your, one of your recent articles. Um, so product management versus backlog management. What, uh, what inspired that article? Pain, a personal pain. That's what inspired the article. Because I, as I said, I have worked in many different places. I think in total so far, I have worked with around 50 Scrum teams, uh, let's say product teams. The, the names vary uh, depending on the company, but sometimes I realized that something was going wrong and then really I felt stupid. Then I moved to another place same things happening. And then I noticed more people were suffering from the same symptoms. And I said, ah, there might be something really wrong here. And then I realized that although companies hire product managers, somehow 
they diminished uh, the power of a product manager into a, a backlog manager and uh, it's frustrating to be on this so that's why i decided to share my perspective and like the difference between a real product manager and uh, what happens in the industry and that's what i call a backlog manager sure so what um what's the difference to you at least what's you know what, what's the difference between being a product manager and being a backlog manager there are many differences, but the core one is the empowerment. So product managers are empowered to make a, vis a vision happen. So you receive a vision from the management, like where to land, and then we can figure out how to get there. The focus is on creating value. Backlog managers on the other side focus on the execution. So somebody else outside the product has a vision and decides how to get there. And then you have to take care of the backlog and execute. The focus is on the output, not on the outcome. And then it entails many other things uh, on the daily doing, how you interact with stakeholders, how you talk to the team. So as a product manager, for example, when I talk to the team, I give them the context, the problem we want to solve and why is that important and which value we can create from that problem. I don't want to micromanage a team on how to get there. But a backlog manager in the other case would be responsible for a scope. It's a kind of a project management. You have a predefined scope and you need to ensure the team implements that. So then a backlog manager would go to a, for example, refinement session and ask the team, like, how complex is it to implement the solution? How long do you need? And would not talk about the problem because potentially the backlog manager doesn't even know the problem because he or she is following something that was predefined. In my job, um, you know, I, I speak to hundreds of product managers week in, week out. Um, and I guess my, my objective is always to understand what their career aspirations are. And uh, along with that, sometimes it comes with the frustrations of their current role. They'll, you know, product managers will speak to me about that. And one of the most common frustrations I hear is the level of autonomy they feel they have. <clears throat> the role not being what was promised to them. You know, they come in thinking they're going to be a product manager. Um, but essentially all they're doing is just executing the CEO's desires through through sprints and whatever. But not having any real input in the direction of the product or the strategy behind it. So, I mean, that, that sounds a bit more like backlog management, right? That's... Sure. Yeah. Uh, totally. And would you, would you say, is that quite common? Do you come across quite a lot of that as well? In, you know, meeting with the industry and speaking that's, to people? Yeah, that's the most common scenario. There are different reasons for that, um, depending on the size of the organization. Because if you take a startup, Potentially, the CEO, let's say the founders, they are the product managers in the beginning. And that's fine because they have an idea and then they want to make that idea possible. And they want to prove there's a market fit and start scaling up. Then they will need to put a product manager. And then this is, the, this is exactly the point where the problem starts happening. Because then the, C, uh, the CEO or founder will step out from product management and should empower product manager to deliver results. But then still, these founders will have the mindset of product managers 
and they will still micromanage. And that is the first mistake. And then the, the, the company will grow depending on CEO. And for me, the clear mistake here is the following. Because the role of a leader is not to come up with all the great ideas. A great leader will prepare the environment so that great ideas can happen. Because if you imagine, the more the company grows, the farther the CEO is from the customer. So CEOs making decisions on how to solve a problem, it is just a bad choice. The CEO should make decisions on how to create a high-performing team, how to prepare the environment, where to land, and so on. So this is one of the first problems. Founders who act as product managers, and then the company grows, and then they put people there, but they forget about empowerment. And the other problem is about big companies. So the bigger it gets, the less autonomy people enjoy, so I would say. And this happens because of the mindset who is in the leadership. Because we are still young into digital product management, I would say. Um, and many leaders, they still have enrooted on their mind something uh, very connected to uh, assembly lines. So everyone has a specific knowledge and executes that very well. And it is a kind of a process-oriented and that works exactly uh, good when it comes to building a car, because it's predictable. Building a car is complicated, but you can predict the relation with all the variants. It will always be the same result if you do it always the same. However, when it comes to product, it is complex. You just don't know the results because the, uh, the variants are complex and the results are unpredictable. In this case, what happens is people on top have a fear of failure. And then for them to empower the team to failure, to fail, it's too risky. And then they want to control. So what they want is to create processes to avoid failures, to avoid errors. And that is a mistake because actually you should remove process to increase creativity. Mm -hmm. So the more process you create, the less creativity you get. You may avoid errors, but the point of product is not avoiding errors. I, I try to say to people I coach, like, if you fail big, you're dead. You should not fail big. However, if you avoid failing small, you're also dead. You need to fail because the only certainty you have is like, once you present something to end users, you will be surprised and you need to inspect and adapt. So the shorter this cycle, the better. But then it comes to the situation uh, and the companies like backlog managers because people uh, on top are unwilling to empower. So that's what I have come across from Brazil to Germany, Dominican Republic, Colombia. I have seen just the same. So this truly is an international issue. This is yes. <laughs> no matter where you go, there's no escaping it. Um, <clears throat> You know, there are companies that are doing this right, you know, empowering product managers. There are companies that have hit the nail on the head with this. Um, and there are also product managers that I speak to who are perfectly happy in their role because they have that autonomy. So how, what would you say your, you know, what, what would your number one tip be? Or what do you think's the most, what do these companies have in common that they're doing right, that are allowing them I guess that autonomy and that freedom for product managers and in turn the engineers um, who are building these products. 
companies that are, let's say, advanced in uh, agility and product management, what they have in common is empowerment. So they hire people and they empower them to deliver results and they hold them accountable for results, not for output. They will tell them which goals they should pursue and then empower them to do that. So that is the, the first uh, very common one. And mm-hmm. uh, the focus is uh, like from the leadership is creating the environment and thinking the, on the strategy, where should it go? And also where we should not go and making this clear to the teams and providing context. So leadership is not only leading by example, but is leading by context. And th- this is common across ad- advanced product companies because they, they will set a vision that inspire people and then people will go on board to make that happen. Sure. I think it's, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's a Steve Jobs quote where we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. And that's basically, that's basically it, right? That's, that's the principle. Um, so, you know, obviously there are, there are companies that are doing that Now, now when it comes to the individual product manager, now a lot will know, and you know, clearly you mentioned, especially earlier on in your career, this is something that frustrated you. So, do, do you think it's fair to say there are product managers out there who are really backlog managers, they just don't know? I think so. Because, for example, when I started my career, I started as a software developer, and the, the reason I moved to product management was a niche, a frustration. As a developer, I was mad because many things I was creating Either the end user didn't care about it or it was making their lives worse. So I was saying, what am I doing here? And then I started challenging and talking to end users and developing what I realized was important for them. And then I enjoyed, but then I had problems with back then project managers. They said, you are having, you are creating scope creep. This is not what we agreed with our managers. Said, no, I'm creating value. And then I had some confusion. I said, I don't want to be in a position where I cannot make decisions. So I moved to product management. But then when I arrived in a company as a product manager, there were many stakeholders, very intelligent people. And I thought that my role was to understand what stakeholders want and communicate with the team. And then if we would deliver what they wanted, it would be successful. Because I thought they know more about business than I do, of course. And my role is to bridge this communication the best way possible. So I was being a waiter. I was serving stakeholders and just aligning with the team manager. And I thought I was right. Stakeholders were happy and we were delivering things and so on. And the output speed was increasing. And it was rocking. Like I was receiving positive feedback all the time. And for me, it was, I'm successful. And I realized that I was failing. The moment, like, nothing was really changing our business. We shipped a lot of things, new features, new product, and our business was just uh, flat. Nothing changed, not for the better, not for the worse. So, so what is our contribution to our success? And I couldn't answer this question. And then I started looking into the uh, usability of our features. I, th- I saw many flaws, and then I started checking if people would use and 
and the users were just giving up. They, they didn't want to use that. They were doing something as a, uh, like alternatively to that. And that was the moment that I realized there's something deadly wrong here. And then I, I started acting differently, but that is the moment that I saw, I'm not a product manager in this case. Mm -hmm. I'm just a requirement engineer or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm just taking orders and giving to, to, to them, but I didn't know that. So it is important to identify if that's the, you know, the, the career path you want to do um, <clears throat> or you want to follow. It's important to identify that early on. What am I actually doing? And um, yes, I, it's quite hard, isn't it? Because it, it's easy to say, yeah, you, you need to look at what you're doing, but at the same time, it can be disguised in so many different ways. Um, yeah, it, there's a lot of pressure in the environment. So imagine uh, in this uh, the first example I'm giving. We were, I was working in a trade marketing company. And we had merchandisers all over Brazil and merchandiser trainers. Like we had 6,000 employees and I was responsible for, for the main product. So I had requests coming in from hundreds of stakeholders and all of them wanted something done by yesterday. So it's hard once you are in this situation to, to know how to filter out noise from signs mm. because it's easy to criticize from from the outside because you you just don't know what is happening there so i think experience is what teaches you mm -hmm. and then you can say there are some signs you realize something is deadly wrong for example if when you are prioritizing everything is based on opinions or based on let's say the highest paycheck in the room then there's a problem because what I ask is how can we say no to a request? No, we cannot say no. We must hear everything. Say no, that is wrong. We can say no to a request when we have a clear goal that we are together pursuing and say, how does this request contribute to this goal? If it doesn't contribute, it is not for now. So mm. first we achieve one goal at a time and then we move to the next. So first question is, can we prioritize? If we cannot prioritize based on some vision or a goal or whatever it is, it needs to be something that empowers us to make decisions beyond opinions. So this is a sign. Mm -hmm. Another is how big is your backlog? For example, if you have a backlog that if you would imagine working on everything there would take you six months, a year, if you have hundreds of items, it is a sign that you are falling into waterfall because mm -hmm. Any agile framework, it's, it's something like we use what we know to discover what we don't know. So it means the backlog is a, is a living artifact. So we continuously remove things that are irrelevant to our discoveries and add. So if our backlog is not lean, then it's trapped. So that's why I say like backlog items, they age like milk, not like wine. The, the longer they stay there, the, uh, the faster they spoil us, we just need to remove them. Yeah. So these are signs, but this came to me after, I don't know, three, four years of experience mm -hmm. and realizing that I was failing. I was not creating value despite of the positive feedback I received. Sure. In, in a lot of startup or scale up environments, let's say where you may be the only product manager or the first product manager or product owner. <clears throat> And, and the company, in, in many cases, you know, the CEO or the founder, they won't have the same understanding of product as a product manager. 
So what advice would you give to someone who's, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I get it, you know, the, the co-founder of the company or the founder of the company, the CEO, they came up with the idea. They want to, you know, that they've already got like a vision in their mind of what this product needs to look like. <clears throat> and of course, like you said, along the way, you discover what it actually needs to look like based on what your users are telling you and what the customer feedback is. But I think it's quite easy and I, you know, I can, I get it. If I created something, I may have a vision for it and would really want to see that vision played out. So as a product manager, what advice could you give to someone to kind of push back and <clears throat> advise a senior stakeholder that look, this isn't the right way of doing things? You know, what, what, what's worked for you in the past or what would you suggest to anyone listening? Cool. I, uh, I was thinking on how to come to this question because like, I think most of the companies, you will arrive there as a backlog manager, but you don't need to remain like that because empowerment is not a given. I experienced that you can earn that. It depends on the attitude you take. So I, I like saying, um, you don't need to be the victim of your cir circumstance. You can be the hero of your story if you are willing to go into some conflicts, to step out of your comfort zone, to step into someone's toes. So one of my advice, I had many situations. The one you described, being the first product manager in a startup. I had this in 2017. Exactly the, the very first one was a startup that had 30 people. Uh, the startup was eight months old and was in a point of proving the, uh, proving market fit. And then we would go to, to scaling. And they arrived in this part of speeding up how we could prove market fit. And this CEO just told me, your goal is to increase engagement in the app in three months by 30%. I don't want to excuse the one that done. So he explained the business model and everything and so on, but he gave the solution. He, he told me he wants me to increase engagement by 30% in three months. And I could just, ha just have taken that, but I asked him like, um, okay, before I start jumping into actions, help me understand. So I tried to empathize uh, to understand him like, what makes engagement the most important thing we have at this moment? And then he looked at me and said, the thing is we are acquiring many customers and they are just leaving us. They are not staying on our platform. So we need to have more engagement to have better offers because the business was, it was a marketplace where we connected car owners with car dealers and we tried to find a deal with them and that car dealers were exactly the ones disengaging with the platform. And the more car dealers we would have, the, more, the better offers we could make to the car owners. And he said, that is what I want. And then I said, okay, so what you want actually is you have a better offer to car owners so that they will accept and then we will have a more sustainable business. Is that correct? said, so, yeah, of course, that is correct. And I think engagement is the way of getting there. As then I, I heard, I think engagement is the way of getting there. And said, yeah, we, and then he opened the game and he said, we have $10 million and that we burn 1 million a month. We either prove there's a market fit or in 10 months we are dead. 
And he said, I believe in six months, if we can show that there is a market fit, we can get a Series B investment round and then we can continuously grow. He said, that's it. And I tried to understand which problem he wanted to solve with engagement because engagement is vague. I can increase engagement. Uh, we, we can do something that kind of gamify or whatever. But the, the bottleneck was the offers were so little that car owners would just reject. We would make no business. So I wanted to understand why the dealers were placing bids so low like that. So then I said, okay, I'm going to go and understand. And the dealer told me, it's too risky to buy a car from you because some things I don't find information. So I'm taking all the risk on my side. I said, what do you mean by that? So I started exploring. So I think the tip is, no matter how high the position comes to you, try to understand what is behind the request, which is the problem. And what I notice is on the how you say it. Because I was not rejecting, say, engage, we are not going to go engage. I said, oh, what makes you think? Which evidence do you have? Help me understand, because then I can act better. So in this conversation, I have never experienced someone rejecting. Um, the, I have experienced people opening up and sometimes we uncover something different. And then it comes a moment. You create the assumptions like, oh, and then you go out, like go out of the office and validate them and see if they stand or not. And then you can define what to do. Brilliant, <clears throat> brilliant example there. That's, thank you for sharing that story. That's, you know, that's, that's a perfect example, I guess, you know, in the same way that empathy and really understanding the problems you will with your users and um, leadership will with their, you know, good leadership will with their, <clears throat> with their personnel. It's the same going upwards and managing upwards. You need to understand what the issue is, get to the bottom of the pain points. And that's how you dig out what exactly the issue is. <clears throat> Brilliant. So um, <clears throat> I, I think that's pretty much everything that we wanted to cover, I guess, on, um, on, uh, you know, product management versus backlog management. Was, that, was there anything I've missed, David, that you wanted to discuss? I think that's what we, we want to cover today. One tip I wanted to give uh, to the product folks, it's like the circumstance will not be good for you in most of the places. And if you try to convince people on doing differently, you will have a hard time convincing them with words. But if you are willing to take risks, and you move out uh, of like the status, you move out of the comfort zone and challenge the status quo. It's results will speak by themselves. So many times in my career, I received some requests and they made no sense to me. So I tried to understand what made sense for the business, for the end users like back then. And uh, I went in a different way than management wanted. And we delivered something that created value for both sides. And management had, in the beginning looked at me and said, what are you doing? That's not what we agreed upon. I said, well, you hired me to create value. And that's what I'm doing. I identified opportunities and take a look at the results we created. And then you can tell me, are these results bad or not? Do they make sense or not? Management looked and said, yeah, actually what you created is relevant. So maybe we can shift how we work. Let's focus on 
results now instead of defining because then the, that's what i'm saying then you can earn trust and earn empowerment it's not it won't come as a given sometimes you need to find for that and then it's a choice you can remain as a backlog manager if you want but if you are willing to go into some uncomfortable discussions and take some risks then you can change the situation for the better well just to go back to that famous quote don't hire smart people and tell them what to do yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. David, uh, th thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been great to have you on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certain my, my, the viewers will, you know, will really love this episode and hopefully, um, you know, help them moving forward in their careers, those that are early into their product careers or those that have been around for a long time. Um, <clears throat> David, if any of the viewers, um, anyone watching this or listening in, wanted to reach out to further ask questions or... <clears throat> um, request your services, what, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Can, link, uh, can reach me on LinkedIn. So you find me there, Dave Pereira, or my website is d-pereira.com. So you can find everything about me there, my content for free and everything. Then we can just exchange. Feel free to drop a message and then we can talk. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to have you on here. Um, thank you for you know everyone that's tuned in. Um, great to see you all again, and um, until next time, all the best. Thank you.